Want to buy you a drink? Yeah, I'd love one. Sit down. I'm Gary. I'm Celeste. It takes forever to get a drink around here. There's only one waitress. Oh, don't go. Those guys bother you. Oh, they're fine. I mean, you just got here. You help yourself. You like bourbon? I love it. We got that out of the way. Tell me, Celeste, what do you do for a living? I'm a sales rep, and I came here to call on a customer, but uh, they gave me a hard time because I'm a girl. Is that how you think of yourself? As a sales rep? As a girl. Yeah, I don't have a problem with it. I like your hair. I like your outfit. But actually, this is my second favorite outfit. I had a first favorite, but it got ruined, and oh. I had to get rid of it. You did? It smelled. Really? Having it clean didn't help? No. <laughs> so tell me, Gary, what do you do for how a living? How far do you want to go with this? <sighs> Not yet. Don't say anything yet. I don't think it works for somebody else. You know, Gary and Celeste, what do they know about anything? Well, this is your game I've never played before. It's not a game. It's not something you play. Well, does this make any sense to you? It doesn't have to. It's something that happens. It's like seeing someone for the first time. Like you could be passing on the street and, and you look at each other and for a few seconds there's this kind of a, a recognition. Like you both know something. The next moment the person is gone. And, and it's too late to do anything about it. And you always remember it because it was there and you let it go. And you think to yourself, what if I had stopped? What if I had said something? What if? What if? It may only happen a few times in your life. Or once. If your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? Do you think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 301, Out of Sight. A.K.A. Sexual Tension, the movie. Yeah, well, I don't know if there's ever been a movie where us as the audience want two people to fuck any more than this. You're really just rooting for that. Like, please do it. I wanted to be Jennifer Lopez. That's how charming Clooney (laughs) is in this. No, it's like the rare instance where you have two very hot people, and I don't even need to be one of the people yeah, in I know. my mind. You just want them because it feels right. This needs to happen. <laughs> the universe needs this to happen. So, yeah. I think we're going to try to do a little bit shorter of an episode. We can't keep doing three-hour marathons or I will kill myself in my <laughs> apartment. <laughs> that will just be the end of my life if I have to do another three-hour edit. 
good response to the Godfather episode, so yeah, we're happy to be past it. We're moving on from 300. We're back to the regular routine. As always, you can find us on Twitter at GreatestPod, and that's where you can request a sticker, and we will send it to you for free. That's where you can pay for a listener request one day once I actually set that up. No one's really been banging down our door for the paying for listener request thing yet, so... No rush. Everyone knows the prices. You can go back to The Godfather and listen to that. And if you did not listen to The Godfather episode and you did a free one from the end of last year, you should just go check that out. I I lay out when everybody's episode will probably be coming down the pike. And for the sake of my marriage, we can't go through that again. (laughs) The sake of your marriage? She was just like, I cannot believe how long you guys talk about the listener request situation. (laughs) Tell her to mind her own business. (laughs) I just want everyone to feel comfortable and confident who's turned one in. They know it's happening. Mm-hmm. It will happen one day. Definitely. The price scale, all that stuff. We'll get into that once it's actually set up, but it's not right now. Please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. You'll never miss an episode. Five star only on the reviews, please. Please. Yeah. Come on. I put in way too much time yeah. for you to be giving us less than that. <laughs> if you want to give us one star, move along. And finally, find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983 and Matt Crosby. And if you have not heard, if you find us from the show, you're hearing us say this, and you either create a Letterboxd or you're already on there and you follow us, just let us know either on Twitter or through a comment on one of our reviews that you found us from the show and we'll follow you back because, believe me, we're both pretty much over the Letterboxd scene. (laughs) We're not following everyone back and doing all that bullshit anymore. Who cares? It's a thankless job to follow people back on there because it's just... There's a 50% chance they'll immediately unfollow you. Yeah, it's like two seconds later. (laughs) Yeah, everyone's trying to create the impression that there's some sort of account to follow. Mm -hmm. There's people on there that I've probably done a mutual follow with for months and months, and then all of a sudden they unfollow me. And then I'll look at their account, and they'll be following eight accounts and then have like a 1,000 followers. I and know. It's like, you fucking idiot. They're always just waiting for their moment to yeah. pull this move. Stupid. See how much sticks. All right. Out of sight. A pretty cool movie that I feel like more people should talk about. Definitely. One of the cool movies of the 1990s, directed by Steven Soderbergh. Came out in 1998. Screenplay by Scott Frank, based on the 1996 novel of the same name by Elmore Leonard. I didn't realize the novel was so close to the movie. Yep, Mm. it was. There we go. (laughs) How about that? The budget for the film was $48 million. The box office was $77.7 million. So it was not a huge hit. Turned a profit, though. Mm. Not Probably not. Marketing and everything. No. Although, I guess that never really factors in the TV rights deals and the home video stuff That's and right. all that. There was much more of a home video market and yeah, I mean, that back I, then. It, it was a movie that definitely was not on my radar when it was coming out, but I did see it on TV. I think I saw it on like TNT. It underperformed a little bit, but it was crucially a critical darling, very well received, and it's a good film, which I think comes into play when you're talking about the careers of the principal people involved, Soderbergh, George Clooney, Jennifer Lopez. I think that helps a lot, even though it wasn't a monster hit. It got two Academy Award nominations, Best Adapted Screenplay for Scott Frank and Best Film Editing for Anne V. Coates. Hmm. 
I think it's impossible to talk about Out of Sight without putting into context where the careers of the three principal people were in this moment. Because it's ultimately a crossroads moment for Soderbergh to break out of the art house world and get into the mainstream. It's a last chance saloon for George Clooney seemingly to be a movie star because nothing was working. It is weird though. For me, Clooney, Jennifer Lopez, they're in the Brad Pitt class where I always knew them to be stars since I've known of them existing. To complete that trilogy, I would say Jennifer Lopez, this was part of her big breakout moment as an actress following on the heels of some big stuff in 97. So with Soderbergh, he bursts onto the indie scene in 1989 with Sex, Lies, and Videotape. It's sort of a phenomenon. It contributes to the indie boom in the 90s. He's sort of a precursor to Tarantino and Kevin Smith and all of these people arriving. Linklater, PTA, everybody. Big connection to like Sundance and that having a significance for indie filmmaking. But the thing that I think a lot of people gloss over is that most of the 90s was then spent making films that nobody saw, that were all confined to the art house world, that did not break through in any way, shape, or form. Mm, Yeah. Kafka in 91, King of the Hill in 93, not related to the show, (laughs) The Underneath in 95, Schizopolis in 96, Grey's Anatomy also in 96, also not related to the TV show. Hmm. I can honestly say I've seen a lot of movies. I've never seen any of those. Yeah, same. I almost watched Kafka last year, but then I found it kind of hard to track down in the streaming world. It's unrelated to it being directed by Soderbergh, though. Grey's Anatomy uh, Criterion? A couple of those are. Yeah. King of the Hill. I've definitely had them in my hand, but yeah, I've never seen. He almost turns down the opportunity to direct this film. So at this point, but then realizes that you don't have this kind of opportunity come along all the time where it's going to happen. You have a a star attached in George Clooney. There doesn't have to be a big ordeal about it. It's going to have a good budget, and he gets talked into doing it. Mm -hmm. At this point, he wasn't really subscribing to the one for me, one for them mentality. No, and he talked about that. He talked about he needed to break out of the art house world. I think he referred to it as a ghetto. Yeah, and he I mean, felt like it was just as confining as doing big it, blockbuster movies. At some point, your opportunities dry up. It's hard to continue to get funding, even though it's smaller budget. You still need a budget. You still need some sort of investment in it. And it kicks off his relationship with Clooney, and they would work together a half dozen times mm-hmm. or whatever it might be. For George Clooney, everyone knows he's a big television star. He has the massive hit with ER after kicking around through parts of the 80s into the 90s trying to break through finally does it with er but then wants to make the move to movies which mm-hmm. is difficult just ask david caruso right shelly long a lot of these people left their cushy huge tv gig in a an attempt to be a movie star and it didn't quite pan out the way they were hoping clooney does from dusk till dawn in 96 which is a cool movie but doesn't really make him a movie star. And then three pretty unsuccessful ventures with One Fine Day in 96, Batman and Robin in 97, a colossal bomb. Yeah. And The Peacemaker in 97 with Nicole Kidman, which also does not do well. Although also had like a basic cable life. That's one that they would show. 
Yeah, I don't think it's a particularly terrible movie, but it wasn't setting the world on fire. It is weird because, and I was young, so not as in tune with these things, but I did see One Fine Day. I knew, of course, of the Batman movie that he's in. George Clooney is a star to me. Like, (laughs) it's not his career is, like, hanging on needing a success. That's just where my head was at at the time. He was just a big name, I guess, like a household name. Well, it's the difference between being... Tom Cruise and what's his face from Avatar, who they were trying to push down oh, our throats yeah. for right. Sam Worthington. Yes, yes. Okay. Just because you're in a bunch of things in a short amount of time doesn't mean it's gonna last forever. There's a That's run right. that you have and then if it doesn't stick. Yeah, true. So Worthington being in Avatar was the luckiest thing imaginable for yeah. him because then he gets to be in the sequels. Right. Because he was in a ton of shit for basically two years and then we just didn't see him again. I know. Jennifer Lopez, though, on the other hand, it seemed to be going well for her by this point. She was the dancer on In Living Color, but then she's in a bunch of movies, Money Train in 95, Jack, Mm -hmm. and Blood and Wine in 96, and then a big breakout in 1997 with Selena, but I would say more importantly, Anaconda. (laughs) (laughs) The oft-discussed Anaconda. And then also U-Turn. Yes, which Underrated. is a film that we enjoy. <laughs> Wasn't a big hit. I don't know that it made that much of an impression on people, but I certainly like it because it's just trash. Straight yeah, yeah. trash. The Oliver Stone film. And so, in a sense, she seems almost on the come up, whereas this is Clooney trying to make it happen. This is Soderbergh trying to take the next step in his career. I do think that Jennifer Lopez is awesome in this movie. Much like... Soderbergh, it's a little bit of a crossroads in her career, and she picks a different path than I think maybe some people would have wanted, where she ends up focusing a lot more on her music career, doesn't seem to worry about working with great directors, working with great projects. She goes the rom-com route, has hits. It's not like she didn't have hits, but I don't know that people really respect a lot of the movies she was in for the next 20 years or so until maybe Hustlers. Yeah. Which... I'm dead serious. It may be all the way till that. I don't know. Yeah, I Nothing's know. jumping to mind where people are like, oh, yeah, this is a great film there that was people love. sort of a long run where she was kind of like out of the spotlight. Well, she has a couple of kids. She's been married a bunch of times. Yeah, yeah. And the music thing was something she was trying to do at various points. Right. So it ends up being the perfect convergence of an eager and talented director and then two other people who, in retrospect, are on the verge of becoming superstars and then the absolute right material that is not only ultra sexy, but it appeals to both men and women. This is a violent Elmore Leonard story with people that get killed, a little bit more adult language and humor. So men aren't going to be turned off by it, but it's ultimately a rom-com yeah, in a lot of ways. There's it's a, a meet cute. It's a fun story. Even though like prison and death is involved, there's a lot of goofing around <laughs> <laughs> going on. An unbelievable cast. Yeah. With tons of fun appearances and well, cool people in it. Soderbergh would definitely go on to do this more. Like I think the Albert Brooks casting in this movie kind of playing with weird casting. He definitely, that became a thing that he did in a lot of his movies going forward. Yeah, definitely. 
The source novel's origins lie in a picture Leonard saw in the Detroit news of a beautiful young female federal marshal standing in front of a Miami courthouse with a shotgun resting on her hip. Producer Danny DeVito bought the rights to the book after his success with the 1995 film adaptation of Leonard's novel, Get Shorty. Mm -hmm. Steven Soderbergh had made two films for Universal Pictures when executive Casey Silver offered him out of sight with Clooney already attached. However, the filmmaker was close to making another project and hesitated to commit. Silver told him, these things aren't going to line up very often. You should pay attention. Mm. And so he does, and so they make it. Originally, Sandra Bullock was heavily considered for the role of Karen Sisko. They did a lot of testing together, and Soderbergh said that she did have a lot of chemistry with Clooney, and mm-hmm. it was good, but it was not the right chemistry for an Elmore Leonard-style yeah. film. I can picture it. Sometimes you list off some of these what could have been or what almost was, and you're like, wow. I, I could picture Sandra Bullock doing this, though. I don't think it, it's as good as what Jennifer Lopez ends up being, but you can see it. Yeah, I like Sandra Bullock a lot, especially in the 90s, and I think I could see that movie, but you're right. There's just something about... J-Lo's presence in this film. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's unparalleled yeah. in modern times. I know. <laughs> so the story begins essentially in medias res, though we're not really sure of the context yet. It's told out of order. I do think that one of the versions of Frank's script tried to do it in linear sequential order Mm. and it just wasn't working so then he went back to what leonard does in the novel gotcha and mixes everything up so we meet an angry jack foley played by clooney taking his tie off slamming it down on the ground outside of this big building Uh we don't know what the fuck is going on though and then he immediately heads across the street to the sun trust bank oh yes a big financial institution in south you see it turns out that Mr. Foley is actually a career bank robber. Who can I help you, sir? Where the... See the man talking to your bank manager has his case open? Oh, that's Mr. Gwyndon, one of our assistant managers. Our manager is Mr. Schoenbitt. He's not in today. But you see the man with the briefcase? Yes. That's my partner. He has a gun in there. If you don't do exactly what I tell you, or if you give me any kind of a problem at all, I'm going to look over at my partner, and he's going to shoot your Mr. Gwyndon between the eyes. All right, now take one of those big envelopes and put as many hundreds, fifties, and twenties as you can pack into it. Nothing with bank straps or rubber bands. I don't want any dive packs. I don't want any bait money. Start with the second drawer, and then the one over there underneath the money counter. It's okay. Come on, Loretta. The key's right there next to you. There you go. No bills off the bottom of the drawer, please. Is your first time being around? You're doing great. Just smile, Loretta, so you don't look like you're being held up. Got a very pretty smile. It's the twenties, give me the twenties. I'll take those. There you go. Put those in my pocket. There you go. I had to give my partner a sign, and that's good. 
Now he's gonna wait 30 seconds until I'm out of the building. Make sure you haven't set off the alarm. If you have, he's gonna shoot you, Mr. Gwen, in between the eyes. Okay? Right. I think that'll do it, Loretta. Thank you. Have a nice day. You too. Hey. She's cute, isn't she? Yeah, she seems very nice. This is a cool bank robbery scene, though. It's definitely, like, unique. Like, you've never seen something like this before. Yeah. Part of it is the Clooney appeal. He's uh-huh. handsome, charming, great Char- smile. Charismatic. I think he was attracted to this role because he was going to emulate certain actors like Cagney, Bogart, McQueen. And he ends up attempting a spur-of-the-moment bank robbery where he doesn't have a gun, doesn't have a plan, doesn't really have anything. He just uses what's around him to concoct this story of something. He also has an insanely soothing delivery. (laughs) Yeah, he's very calming to the girl behind the counter, the teller. You're doing great. First time being robbed? But he's busted when his piece of shit car won't start in the parking lot. And so he's sent to Glade's Correctional Institution... And that's where our story really gets cooking. The scenes at Glades were filmed at Angola Prison in Louisiana, where 500 real cons were used as the extras. By the way, Hmm. I guess it killed Clooney to have to appear to be terrible at basketball in this opening part. (laughs) Because he was one of those three times a week at the YMCA before his career got going kind of a thing. Right, right. Jack, being the intuitive guy that he is, notices fellow inmate Chino, played by Luis Guzman, planning a prison break. Taking this opportunity to plan one of his own, Jack calls his ex-wife Adele, played by Catherine Keener, an out-of-work magician's assistant, to notify his friend and accomplice Buddy, who's played by Ving Rames. I guess Catherine Keener was also someone who was considered for Karen Sisko. I'm not sure that I see that. But yeah, I guess that's maybe judgy and unfair because it, I think ultimately what it boils down to sometimes is that you you don't allow I know actors or actresses to be that person because right. you're you only associate them with what you've already seen them do. Well, she does a great job as Adele. I'll say that <laughs> Adele is great. Yeah, I would never get divorced from Adele. No, <laughs> she seems like a sweet lady. I guess she came kind of close in being John Malkovich. To being this character, maybe True. closer. Yeah. Now, not that Karen Sisko is evil or mean spirited, but she showed Tough. another side. Yeah. She plays the bombshell in that movie, co starring against Cameron Diaz, who it's plays like the, the nerd. The nerd <laughs> <Yeah>. chick. <laughs> Speaking of which, I think we're going to do being John Malkovich finally. Oh, wow. Soon. Yeah. Usually we don't spoil what's coming up in the coming weeks, but yeah, I think that's been on our list since the beginning of the podcast, and it's one that always gets moved to a (laughs) different year, and I think we're finally going to do it this year. All right. So that night at the prison on Unrelated Business, U.S. Marshal Karen Sisko, played by Jennifer Lopez, arrives almost at the same time as Buddy, and then she spots the escapees all emerging from their tunnel outside. Mm Mm-hmm. So they come out in groups, basically. First up is Chino and Lulu, who I think is his prison boyfriend, and they head to the trees. As they're being shot at by the card towers, they somehow escape. Machine guns. But then two other guys are shot. Just lit up. By the guards. 
Jack then emerges dressed as a prison guard, having taken the uniform from a guy that he ambushed in the prison chapel, basically by pretending that he's letting this other guard in on the plan. Right. He's like, meet me at the chapel and I'll tell you what time and how they're going to escape and all this shit. And then he takes his uniform. He fools the other guards, but not Karen, who is now wielding her shotgun. She sees right through it immediately. Yep. Now, Jennifer Lopez did about 10 weeks of training with firearms with professionals, and it shows. It It pays off. natural, I got to tell you. Yeah, I do think that a big problem with some of this stuff is the believability when people mm-hmm. handle guns. And I don't know if she's really doing it right or not. It's not like I'm an expert, but... I don't know. She's got good form when it she's comes holding across that shotgun. Yeah. On screen. I was totally buying that she would shoot someone. In all the confusion, Jack and Buddy team up to overpower Karen and deposit her into the trunk of her own car. Yeah, quick thinking my buddy's kind of able to get the drop on her using <laughs> Jack as the distraction. Although Buddy was clearly thinking that they're just going to put her in the trunk of her car and then still take his car. Right. But then Jack hops into the trunk with her. Yeah. Quick <laughs> Conveniently. Jack, yeah. <laughs> and so Buddy drives away in her vehicle. I guess this was the scene that they auditioned with her for. And she said that they recreated it by having her and George Clooney lay on a couch. Wow. Which I was like, holy shit. That must have been a magical moment. Sparks were flying. I think in today's climate, they're probably not going to do it like that. <laughs> I think probably not. You, know, you don't seem all that scared. Of course I am. You don't act like it. What do you want me to do, scream? I didn't help much anyway. No, I'm just going to sit here, take it easy, and wait for you to screw up. <laughs> not like my ex-wife. You were married? Just for about a year. Give or take a few days. Not like we didn't get along, we had fun. We just didn't have that thing, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, spark, you know. Gotta have that. Mm-hmm. We still talk, though. Sure. This is not gonna end well. These things never do. Turns out I get shot like a dog. It's gonna be in the street, not off a goddamn fence. You must really see yourself as some kind of Clyde Barrow, huh? Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The part in the movie where they get shot when it's uh, Warren Beatty and uh, 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 Faye Dunaway. Yeah. I like it in that movie about TV. Networking. Yeah. She was good. Yeah. That guy who says he's not going to take any more shit from anybody. Peter Finch. Yeah. Peter Finch. Not take any, uh, uh, mad as hell, and I'm not going to take any more of your shit. That part where they get shot, I remember thinking to myself, that wouldn't be such a bad way to go if you had to. You'd probably tell me. I'm just saying if we met under different circumstances. You have got to be kidding. 
Another movie I like to fade in only was Three Days of the Condor. One with Robert Redford when he was young. Yeah. You know, I never thought it made sense, though. You know, the way they got together so quick. I mean, romantically. Mm-hmm. Originally, the trunk sequence was crafted as one long single shot instead of the way that it's done yeah. in the movie. And they, they did 45 takes. I think they used wow. take 44. Oh, shit. But test audiences did not like it, and so they ultimately reshot it and then cut it up wow. the way that you see it in the movie where they're going to Ving Rhames and they're doing different cuts and then they're outside of the car and then they're inside huh. of the, you know, all kinds of different stuff. I'd be interested to see that uncut track. Well, you can on the disc. I'll have the to check it features. out. Yeah. Audiences were derailed by it, and Soderbergh ultimately agreed and said that he didn't see that it was just laying there as a big thing in the middle, and it didn't really fit in this movie. There was a little bit more yeah. artistic ambition that well, was yeah. not in place in this one. I gotta say, for all the good things I would say about this movie, it doesn't have a ton of artistic pizzazz to it. There's some. Yeah. A lot of use of freeze frame. The freeze frames, which do feel a tad random uh-huh. to me, but Same here. Al- ultimately stick in your head a little bit. There's, well, yeah. the big thing is the different filters on the camera. Yes. There's a clear delineation of what Florida looks like versus Detroit. True. A lot of it does feel like a by the numbers big budget movie. Well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You're not going to be able to. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying. <laughs> You're not going to get too carried away with, right, right. with a $44 million budget or yeah. whatever. Yeah. As far as movie tropes or movie meet-cutes or how do we get these characters together, I think the forced intimacy of this moment is really special and unique. And it, you're immediately charmed by it, uh-huh. mostly because we like George Clooney. In reality, this would be a horrifying nightmare for right. a woman. You're in a trunk with a disgusting guy <laughs> that crawled convict. out of in dirt mud and dirt and yeah. shit or whatever he's like fucking Andy Dufresne and yeah. <laughs> climbing through a tunnel of shit and now he's a criminal who escaped from jail and he's in a trunk pressed right. up against you his hand is on her hip the whole thing but in the movie when it's yeah. George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez we're like this is great yeah. they have an opportunity to really get to know each other in a <laughs> unique way <laughs> They get in each other's heads. Yeah. It's great. But this is a badass woman who's comfortable in the situation she's in, too. That's she, true, but it's not where you would like fall in love with someone. <laughs> it's not yeah. ideal. Right. But meanwhile, I'm writing in my notes, let nature take its course. <laughs> <laughs> and he calls it out later. It's one of those moments where you both look at each other. When she was standing there holding that shotgun at him, they both just looked each- at each other and knew. You know? <laughs> Part of the conversation proves that Karen is very movie literate, yeah, which you love is immediately it. attractive yep. to me. <laughs> <laughs> the three of them go to meet Glenn, played by Steve Zahn, who is an unreliable uh-huh. associate of Jack and Buddies, who they know from a different prison sentence. Seems like a horrible guy to have in your gang, in your crew. Not someone you want to do big jobs with. Although, Buddy, there's some questions about, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's Buddy that insisted on including Glenn. Yeah. Glenn wearing his sunglasses at night, which infuriates Jack. He's <laughs> a stoner. Yeah. Jack generally 
dislikes him. Some of the stuff we've learned about Jack is that he's robbed tons of banks to the point where he doesn't know how many. He's done different prison sentences. And so I think the idea is that he's facing a long term at Glades, and that's why this is what he's resorted to. But one of the things, one of the traits that they give him as a criminal is he doesn't really do violent crime. No, not really. He doesn't use guns. Right. Yeah. Well, they want the audience to like him. They want the women in the audience to like him, too. Jack wants to take Karen with them, I guess ostensibly as a hostage, although he's never really quite able to explain himself. (laughs) She just needs to be with us. They put her in Glenn's car while Jack changes clothes, talking to Buddy. But it turns out that Karen knows Glenn. She's transported him as a prisoner twice before. While she has the chance, she starts getting in his head, which is completely believable. doesn't seem very hard. (laughs) Easily manipulated. Karen ultimately convinces Glenn to drive off with just her, leaving Jack and Buddy stunned in the middle of the road. And now we start jumping around. Two years earlier. (laughs) Okay. Jack, Buddy, and Glenn were incarcerated together at Lompoc Penitentiary in California where wealthy inmate Richard Ripley, played by Albert Brooks... With a shocking look. (laughs) Yeah. Horrifying. Right. Relatable as well, but... Bragged to Glenn about a cache of uncut diamonds hidden in his home Mm. Uncut jams. (laughs) Uncut jams. (laughs) So a lot happens in Lompoc that impacts the rest of the story, although we're not really clear of it all at once but eventually the uncut diamonds becomes the whole thing of the big score that they're going to try to do eventually guys bragging he won a throne fight fucking pathetic dangerous is what it is who's the ball dude Richard Ripley the Wall Street guy Call him Dick the Ripper on account of all the guys he ripped off. Oh, yeah. I didn't recognize him without his rug. What's his bid? Three years. Yeah. You guys on the bench? Okay. Yeah, three years, find $50 million, and wrote him a fucking check. <laughs> Just like that. 50 mil, signed his name. Didn't even, didn't even. Okay, a little help. Okay, heavy. Yeah, heavy. Come on. Oh! It's a bright glare out here. You couldn't read the numbers on the weights. Oh, man. How do you know he wrote a check? Uh, he told me. We work laundry together. Guy loves to fucking talk. Yeah, he loves to talk. He talked to the U.S. attorney. Rolled over on all the snitches he was doing business with. Hey, any guy who can write a fucking check for $50 million, he says anything. I'm all fucking ears. Guy tells me he's got all this money in foreign banks, plus around mm, five million uncut diamonds at his house. He said, quote, that I can get my hands on it at any time. Where does he live? Detroit. Yeah, Snoopy Miller says that uncut diamonds are about as easy to move as cash. You ever seen an uncut diamond, studs? Looks just like a plain old rock. Wait, you think this guy's lying? <laughs> you 
think, studs? Use your head. Some guy's got $5 million socked away in his house, and he's going to tell some motor mouth he just met in prison about it. Oh, I see. You guys are cynical. Right. We meet a lot of interesting characters. There's Snoopy, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Maurice, a.k.a. Snoop, played by Don Cheadle. Yes. Who we meet as a boxer in prison throwing a fight on purpose who then ends up shanking that dude because he was bragging about winning a, a thrown fight. <laughs> yeah. So that's the violence. There's real violence. They just run up and stab this guy a bunch right. of times like it's friggin' Oz or something. Yeah, and Jack kind of uses this as a moment to throw an arm around Ripley. The movie walks that line. It's a finely tuned balance of a light comedic vibe with actual blood and mm-hmm. violence. The movie also has a lot of ad-libbing and improv, especially by Cheadle, who is hilarious in this movie, but also scary. He plays oh, like yeah. the real villain, but the violent crime guy says a lot of wild shit too. Yeah. Meanwhile, back in Florida, sort of back in the present, this is where it gets very confusing. And I think I was completely thrown the first time I ever watched this movie. I was like, what is happening now? I know it is a little confusing because you don't know what happens with Jack and Buddy. They're left on the side of the road. And then you don't know what happens with Karen and Glenn at first. Yeah, yeah. And the next thing you're seeing is Jack and Buddy walking into what seems to be a Floridian motel. That that motel is awesome. And you're like, what's happening? And then all of a sudden, she's there with a gun, and she's walking into the room. (laughs) He's taking his clothes off. He's in the bathtub. Yeah. And she, she comes into the room, and then he doesn't seem surprised that she's there. And then he ends up pulling her into the bath. Mm Mm-hmm. They have sex, I guess. I know and it, it is turns out to be a dream, right? And you're completely thrown as to what is happening now because this doesn't seem like yeah. the type of movie where one of the characters is just having a dream. I know it's too bad that it's a dream because I was like, man, what a move by this guy to opt for the bath over the shower. I love it. He's just lighting a candle. <laughs> He's relaxing. <laughs> well, I think this is one of those things that you would immediately want to do once you escape from prison. Yeah, I, I don't think there's it. a lot of time for. <laughs> Baths in prison. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I lived in this dorm once mm-hmm. that used to be a nursing school, I believe, or something like that. And so the bathrooms were all essentially women's rooms. And the way that they did it was there would be a guy's floor, a girl's floor, a guy's floor, whatever. Okay, it might right, have been right. the first floor f- yeah. floors or guys or whatever. But it was singles. It wasn't roommates. Oh, cool. And the bathrooms were huge, but they were all stalls really Uh because it was not designed to be men's rooms and so like one side of the huge bathroom would be showers the other side would be bathroom stalls Uh and in the middle of these giant rooms would be bathtubs wow and i think any dudes jumping in there (laughs) i think that essentially the design purpose was for and i know this is going to sound uh-huh. borderline sexist i maybe but i think it was for shaving your legs i don't know okay i guess maybe also women in the 40s or whenever this building was built maybe took baths i don't know but there yeah. wasn't like curtains around them <laughs> but just i guess openly exposed tubs essentially i don't yeah. even know if they worked but yeah i always thought it would be like hilarious you just walk in you <laughs> take like your robe bath. off and you're just <laughs> i guess women would be more comfortable doing that Okay, around yeah, sure. each other, for I guess. sure, but men, it would be a little strange. 
Hey guys, <laughs> you just surround the tub with candles. <laughs> and oh, and trust me, on the weekends when the bathrooms weren't being cleaned every day, it, it would be horrific in there. Just oh, so yeah. you're taking a bath like five feet away from some guy taking a brutal shit. <laughs> yeah, really relaxing. But yeah, the idea of taking a bath in prison, that's what it reminds me of. <laughs> Lining candles around. A... Well, there's that scene in Rules of Attraction Yeah, where that girl. True. So, hey, girls, reach out to us on <laughs> Let Twitter. Us know, at we Let it, what are the yeah. bathrooms like in the girls' dorms in college? Do they yeah. have bathtubs to shave your legs? <laughs> picturing it Do girls take baths in them? <laughs> taking like a stereo and putting like a Kenny G cassette tape. <laughs> Or if it was me in college just bringing my clock radio and listening to ESPN Sports Radio for four hours. Just letting the cold water out and then just turning the hot yeah. water back on. Hours that going would be by. A time. It turns out that what happened was Glenn crashed the car when Karen was attempting to make him take an exit. He fled on foot. She was taken to the hospital. While there, she meets with the FBI. She wants to join the task force hunting the fugitives, but this... is met with both resistance and suspicion immediately. Well, this FBI guy is a prick to her right away. He's kind of like insinuating that there was something... That she was in on it. Right. The escape. Yeah. Well, then, the thing that I don't like is that through her dad, who's played by Dennis Farina, by mm-hmm. the way, and we'll get to him later... You do find out a little bit about her past, and they're sort of like insinuating that she already dated a guy that robbed banks or something. She Don't they kind of seems, say that? Well, her dad definitely points out that she has a checkered past with dudes. It was somebody that she didn't know yeah. was a criminal or right. something. Yeah. But I was like, why? Why have that in here? I know. I don't like that. Okay. Well, it makes it seem less interesting then that it's happening with Jack Foley. She later. has a type. Yeah, it's sort of not as... Ray Nicolette doesn't seem like a great dude, even though he is a cop. Well, yeah, but that's a a different thing, though. I just don't like the idea that she's already covered this ground before. (laughs) Like, I don't know, it makes it seem less unique, then, that it's happening in the movie. Maybe they felt like they had to make it more believable. I don't know. (laughs) I think they do by how hot... They both are, and how right. much chemistry they have. You're like, yeah, this feels believable. Exactly. We understand that this just has to happen. It has to happen. Now we're jumping all over the place. We're back at Lompoc again in the past, moving through space and time. Jack intervenes when Ripley is being extorted by Snoopy. Albert Brooks is particularly hilarious in this scene here. When <laughs> Snoopy's like charging him these absurd amounts for things, and He's like, what's that thing you want, Bausch and Lom? He's like, yeah, Bausch and Lom, Bausch and Lom. He's like, all right, it's going to be 500 for that. And <laughs> Ripley's like, I need it. I need it. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea here is Ripley's this big Wall Street guy. I don't know why he lives in Detroit. That doesn't really make sense to yeah, me. But he's sort of a precursor to a Bernie Madoff or something. Maybe not quite that bad because he's not going to be in prison that long. But he's ripped a bunch of people off. Right whatever kind of fraud maybe like a jordan belfort yep but he's still got a lot of money he had Uh to pay like a big fine and go to prison but he's got all this money yeah and by the way it doesn't fuck up his career it seems like he would probably be in a white collar yeah prison but not not this fucking place where people are getting shanked it doesn't fuck up his career because we find out later that he's sort of married into this life that he has evidently they don't really get too specific about what's going on but 
whatever. The prisoners recognize him. They know his story. They know he has money, whatever. So he's sort of an easy mark for some of these people. Jack ends up helping out, intervening, getting involved, which, of course, puts him at odds with Snoop, who was going to give him these goldfish, because evidently Ripley likes his fish, Mm -hmm. which plays into the end of the movie. And (laughs) once things go awry in this meeting in the prison library, he just takes those fish and like squishes (laughs) them in his hand and then gives them to him. Yeah, it's kind of sad. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I guess. I'm sure they didn't kill real fish. Yeah, thankfully. Hopefully. Yeah. It was the 90s. It was a different Well, that's time. true, yeah. But I doubt it, though. We probably would have heard about it somewhere. Right. Yeah, this movie would be canceled. A lot happens in the next little moment. It's, a, it's just a small scene, but there's plenty to take away from it, including a moment that I think changed American history, as I was telling you before we started recording. Uh-huh. <laughs> Maybe we'll only yeah. touch on that a little bit in this moment. You can't do this movie and not mention it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, he took a week off to take care of me, and he's worked on his boat every day since. Yeah, this is Ray Nicolette. Hey, hi. Hi. Pleasure to meet you. I heard a lot about you. Likewise. Ray's working with the FBI task force on the prison break. I see that. Tell me, Ray, do you ever wear one that says undercover? No. How's it going? Sit down. Okay. <laughs> Good. Good. We caught one of them. Was it Foley? Was it off a tip? Yeah. Somebody spotted two of them out in this hobo camp near the airport. You know, called in a number. I knew it as soon as I saw there was a reward. Maybe was it Foley? No. Lenari's right, one of the Cubans. We went in there, you know, full SWAT, two choppers, that whole deal. Lenari's goes, let's start shooting. So we took him out. I don't know how Chirino got away, but he did. And Foley hadn't been there? No, this place was strictly Cuban. You know, Foley had a ride, he must have his own agenda. You know what I mean? Yeah. He seems to be the only guy who kind of knows what he's doing. Uh-huh. Excuse me. Yeah. Hello? Oh, yeah, she is. Just a minute, please. Mm-hmm. Karen. Hello? Hi. You know who this is? Yes. So, Ray. Yeah, there's something I'm wondering. The headline reads, I slept with a murderer, says shaken Miami woman. What is it that answered the phone? None of your business. I'm just worried maybe I'm not old enough for you. Who's my dad? Really? He's got a cop's face. How do you know? Oh, wait. You have my wallet. And your gun. Think I can have him back? How do we do that? No, let's see. You can come on by my dad's place and drop him off. Yeah, I can leave it with the SWAT guy that answers the door. You know, there's a guy here on the task force right now. Maybe I should put him on the phone and let the two of you work it out. You wouldn't do that. No, why not? Because you're having too much fun. She fixes some pork chops and rice. The next thing you know, they're making love on the sofa. She says he was very gentle. This guy, Chirino, shows up at the house, says he misses his little girl. She feels sorry for him. Next thing you know, boom, you know, on the couch. And that's how you score now, huh? I guess. 
So first of all, Karen is with her dad, played by Farina here, who always seems like he knows what's happening. I guess she just is pretty much honest with him. Mm-hmm. Because later in the movie, he refers to what she does as her interlude or something, as if she just right. told him what happened with Jack. And he's kind of like, all right, well. When you get to the end of the movie, it does sort of solidify this weirdness of the relationship that she has with her dad. It seems like she shares a little too much. Yeah, we don't know what happened to mom. She's out of the picture. Yeah. Dad is very interested in her dating life. Let's just say that. A little too interested, yeah, maybe. I think so. In the newspaper, they're using a picture of Clooney from from Dusk Till Dawn as his oh, shot. Okay. When she's like, he doesn't even look like that. Yeah. He was like rocking that weird right. haircut hair. that he has in that movie. <laughs> okay, well, we might as well just say it. J-Lo in a Dan Marino Dolphins jersey, sweatshorts. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the outfit combo that when you see it, you want to be a better man. Uh-huh. Like you want to change your entire life to yeah. live up to seeing this. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a scene. I would just say, if you were in your chair when the scene started, all of a sudden your chair's been flipped over. <laughs> you're standing you up. Were... <laughs> you're like, what is happening? Yeah. Well, I don't think that we need to go into too many details, but uh-huh. I will say that I do think that Jennifer Lopez in this movie, in Anaconda, in whatever, her music at the time, whatever was going on, I think did single-handedly change American culture. I think that's fair to say. And I'll just leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no one's complaining about this look, I'll tell you that. No. Good Lord. She's stunning. Okay, so her boyfriend in the film is Ray Nicolette, as you alluded to. Mm-hmm which sees Michael Keaton reprising his role from Jackie Brown, playing the same character. Right. This is strange. Yes. And unprecedented for a lot of reasons, although it is something that occurs a lot in Elmore Leonard novels. Characters reappear. Right. Whatever. That's not that unusual. A lot of writers do shit like that. It is weird for two separate movies around the same time, having the same actor play the same character. Right. And one of the reasons would be that Jackie Brown hadn't even come out yet uh-huh. by the time they're making this movie. Another reason is that they're made by two different studios, which makes it complicated. Because once Miramax goes into production on Jackie Brown, they then own the rights to the character of Ray Nicolette. And the easy solution would obviously be to change the name a little bit, cast a different actor, or don't even have it. This scene is not really crucial no, to the it's movie. No, you could actually do the scene without Ray. Right. Because basically what happens is Ray shows up at the house. They're talking about Jack. I think Karen's dad is already a little suspicious about what, uh-huh. what's going on. Does she like him? That kind of a thing. Nothing's happened yet. It's not like they've kissed or anything, but she did have the dream. They're looking at the newspaper. Ray shows up unexpected. Ray is sort of unappealing to Karen's dad because he's still married. By the way, this is... Karen's house or her dad's house? It's hers, right? I don't know. This is some nice real estate. She's a U.S. Marshal. Okay. Waterfront property? It's all waterfront property. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's falling out of trees down there. Yeah, I know. Well, who knows? It could be her family thing. Who knows? I don't think it's that crucial to worry about. I'm always interested in what people's real estate situation is. I don't know. Maybe she makes $300,000. Yeah. (laughs) That's a fair point. 
She goes all the way to Detroit for this job. Come on. Yeah. But anyway, so he shows up. Karen's dad doesn't like him because he's married. He's a hotshot. He calls him Wyatt Earp. It's a whole thing. Uh huh. So then all of a sudden the phone rings. Now, if you're wondering whose house it is, her dad answers the phone. Yeah. Hands it to her when the person on the other end asks for her. So I don't know. Turns out it's Jack. She doesn't tell anyone it's Jack. She's like, wait, I got to go outside and take this. So she goes outside, leaves her dad alone with Ray. I like how Ray always kind of plays like dumb yeah. in both movies where her dad is obviously talking about him and how right. it's bad to cheat on your wife, essentially, and all this stuff. And Ray just kind of looks at him like he doesn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. So the scene is not that important. But ultimately, Tarantino seemed very stoked that this was going to happen. Yeah, that seems like the type of thing that he would like. So he insisted that there be no charge from Miramax to Universal. He even took Soderbergh into his editing suite and showed him the footage of Keaton playing Ray Nicolette in his movie to make it all work. One of the things is they have to address in the script is that Ray switched from ATF to FBI. Yeah. But especially at the time, this was definitely unique and... It is something more out of, like, Elmore Leonard novels, like, to do something like this. I fucking love when Karen's dad is talking to Ray and makes fun of him because he's wearing an FBI shirt. And it's like, <laughs> did you ever think of wearing one that said undercover? <laughs> Doesn't get it. Yeah. He's like, no. <laughs> but I think, like, the cool thing is, so this confirms, I guess, that Jackie Brown and Out of Sight take place in the same universe, which is further complicated by the end of this movie, but uh-huh. we'll get to that later. But whatever. I think ultimately it does feel like they do exist in the same world. Right. I agree. Which is pretty cool because I don't think other than the Keaton footage that Soderbergh was seeing what Tarantino was doing on Jackie Brown or whatever, but because they're both taken from Elmer Leonard's source material and Tarantino loves to jump around anyway, and that's probably why he likes Leonard's stuff. Because of the way the style of the film, the jumping around in the story, the way that you reveal things to the audience slowly over time cutting at the right moment so we don't know the full story yet yes it does all feel as as like one big world and it feels very believable and i like that they have the connective tissue of the the ray nicolette character who i guess is relocated from los angeles (laughs) knowing that jack must have spilled the beans about his escape attempt in order to make his own move chino tracks down adele in an attempt to find him but Karen gets there first, apparently thinking the same thing. There's always like funny shit too, where Adele's telling Karen, "Buddy's Jack's conscience always has been. They must have robbed fifty banks together." <laughs> <laughs> but it's also how we find out that Buddy is not the best fucking guy to be in business with when it comes to this stuff. He's always calling his sister and confessing to things. Yeah, but sometimes he does it before. Right, and his sister who was a born-again Christian or something, I guess always... Calls the cops? Yeah, reports on him, but he still calls and tells her everything. Right. Which never really factors that much into the present story, but I guess it explains the past. Uh Uh-huh. Because it doesn't really play into what happens in Detroit or anything, necessarily. No, other than Jack does make some comments about it. Yeah, but it doesn't like affect what happens, really. Because you keep thinking that it's going to actually... Yeah. But it doesn't really. It just gives them backstory to why they all ended up in Lompoc and all that stuff. Karen arrests Chino when he arrives and attempts to break into Adele's home. Doing this allows her to be added to the task force 
So she meets up with the team at the building where Buddy has a room, but is made to wait in the lobby on the radio rather than be a part of the team. I think this plays into something that was still a big yeah. flashpoint in the 90s and into the 2000s, and, and probably still today, but it's less of a thing now because of the way that pop culture, I think, has tried to course correct this and include women and and put women in more prominent roles right. and women get to be their own action stars and blah, 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 blah. But this yeah. is basically playing on the idea of sexism in the workforce. She has a little bit of a Clarice Starling thing going on. Sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's It's that idea. She makes the big arrest. She actually gets one of the people who escaped. And unlike Ray, uh-huh. who brags about doing it at that homeless encampment, and then it ends up in like death and gunshots, right. she arrests Chino pretty easily without incident and her reward is to be given a radio to sit in the lobby and not really get to play a part in going upstairs and so that factors into what happens next because she sees jack when they come down in the elevator and the elevator door opens in the lobby because someone else is using it because they're headed down to the parking garage and instead of calling on the radio she looks at him he looks at her he waves and then she doesn't do anything I would say some mistreatment of elderly people in the elevator sequences. <laughs> I think they're reasonable enough. <laughs> Ma'am, is this your floor? <laughs> That's like no. me. I would be the woman. I don't want to say how many times in my life I've been that woman where people are looking at me like, are we getting out or what? Yeah. Absolutely hilarious, though, when she sees him in the elevator and there's like a delay and then he waves right before the elevator closes. <laughs> Since Karen doesn't call over the radio, Jack and Buddy escape, and they are headed to Detroit to pursue the Ripley score yeah. that Glenn told them about. Now, I think in real life and in reality, it would seem kind of unlikely that Glenn would have his facts straight and actually know what he was talking no about. No kidding. And this all be real? Well, they seem to even think that. I know, but then I guess Ripley semi-confirms it to Jack. That's true. But why Ripley told Glenn and why Ripley would semi-confirm it to Jack, I don't know. I really don't know what he's thinking. He's really naive for a guy that should be terrified of where he is. Agreed. (laughs) And so we switch gears. The story moves up north. While Miami was bright and sort of orangey, Detroit is tinted blue. Very cold and desolate looking. Yeah, it's a nice wintry mix, though. It definitely adds an atmosphere to this whole Detroit sequence. It's actually snowing outside my window right now, similarly to the way that it will be snowing when Clooney and J-Lo are in that hotel scene. It's like me and Matt are face-to-face right now sharing a drink. (laughs) Glass of bourbon. It's cutting back and forth between us sitting there drinking and us making love. Those (laughs) horrible ad men are coming up to you and trying to get you to talk to them. Yeah. Oh, God. (laughs) Please. Yeah, there is some artistic choices, unlike maybe what Matt was saying. But yeah, (laughs) I think that there's that handheld stuff in the car, which Soderbergh just shot on his own driving around, which is how it sort of starts when they're moving around. There is one moment coming up that is almost shocking that it's in this movie. And the way that they do it, you kind of don't really feel the full effect. I guess they probably depict it a little bit more in the book, and then they were like, oh, we got to gloss over it to make this movie light (laughs) but like glenn straight up murders someone i know (laughs) and glenn definitely doesn't seem the type well yeah it certainly haunts him 
While Jack and Buddy were down in Florida, Glenn has reconnected with Snoop in Detroit. So all of a sudden, Snoop is involved, and well, we Glenn, didn't realize that was going to be happening. After the whole Karen talks Glenn out of whatever, or what talks him into what she thinks she's going to talk him into, he now needs a new crew. So yeah, you think that was the moment. It's like, all right, I abandoned Buddy yeah. and Jack in Florida. I got to find someone else that's going to do this with me. Right. But it's very convenient because... Snoop, a.k.a. Maurice, lives in Detroit and yeah. operates there, it does so seem he was like, there anyway. Given the history, it seems weird that Maurice Snoop wouldn't have had some sort of plan to go after Ripley on the outside, regardless. Yeah, but he might not have known that it was like so easy. That there yeah. was going to be five million in uncut diamonds right. just sitting in a house. True. Snoop's plan is to steal Ripley's diamonds with his brother-in-law, Kenneth, played by Isaiah Washington. Yeah, that's right. White boy Bob, who is a henchman, driver, bodyguard, etc. And now Dope. reluctant Glenn, who can sense the score slipping out of his hands right before his very eyes. This is what I was alluding to a second ago. So in order to prove himself, Snoop forces Glenn to kill a rival drug dealer. This is a very weird moment in the film because mm -hmm. they don't really show it in any traditional way. Although I'm not a hundred percent sure. Is that movie that Raymond Cruz at later? Is that supposed to be the same murder? I don't think so. That's just a different crime scene, I think. Yeah. But still it's dark. It's a dark moment and it almost clashes with the vibe. Even though someone got shanked, even though a couple people got shot trying to escape from jail, Right. The but, idea of this guy who seems like an innocent. Yeah. Because he's so dumb. Well, Glenn and Buddy and Jack are part of the harmless criminal crew. We think. We don't really know a lot about Glenn. Glenn did not yeah. work with them to get into Lompoc. He well, was just a true. guy there. Right. We don't know what Glenn's deal is. Uh -huh. But yeah, he doesn't seem like a murderer. Right. And then when he's involved in this, he's clearly shaken by it. And he's <laughs> yeah. kind of like, I need to get out of this now. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it seems too late at that uh, point. Right, exactly. Which I guess is the whole reason you would have them do it, because yeah. it does seem too late to get out. Jack and Buddy arrive in Detroit. They want back in on the score, seeing as how they were told by Glenn first, so they clash with Snoop, obviously, right away. They never really get into a whole Snoop versus Jack thing over what happened with Ripley back in jail, but you would assume there's some tense there's feelings there. There's definitely some things overhanging what everybody's agenda is. There's kind of like a known Jack Maurice ongoing standoff that I think they both know that they're not going to be working th with each other through the completion of this job. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it seems like it goes even before this job and clashing over $5 million in diamonds. Like, it yeah. seems like they would have had to have butt heads a little bit more after Jack True. intervened with the whole Ripley thing. Well, Jack's just a cool cat, you know? <laughs> when he gets involved, people are like, all right. We'll, we'll leave it alone. Karen arrives, too. So now everyone is in Detroit. She knows a guy named Raymond Cruz, played by Paul Calderon, a local detective. She ends up being photographed for the newspaper at a crime scene when she's talking to Ray, not Ray Nicolette. I didn't like that both characters were named Ray. That stinks. So now Jack and Buddy know she's in Detroit because this is 1998 and people are looking in newspapers and not online and all those different things. So yeah, they see her. The two with completely different reactions to this news. Jack loves it. Yeah. <laughs> He's even like, well, she's probably not here for us. 
<laughs> like, what? Karen starts looking for Snoop in order to track Glenn down. We meet Moselle, Snoop's wife, played by Viola Davis, yeah. of all people. Notice that. I was like, wow. She is Kenneth's sister. Kenneth is sort of a walking rapist. <laughs> really? He kind of goes after Karen in an aggressive way when kind she shows up. Kind of an insane monologue here with the whole dog and bone thing. Yeah, Karen tangles with Kenneth a little bit, and then they have her like whip out that oh, yeah. thing. Fucks him up. Baton royally. thing. Yeah. And beat him up a little bit. I guess to give her some cred back. Like, oh, yeah. Look at, okay, so she's legit. We saw her wielding a shotgun. We know that she handled herself with Chino. But Chino isn't exactly the biggest badass compared to these guys, so we need to give her some real cred. You're a fighter. How you know that? I can tell. Yeah, I was. Until I got my retina detached two times. What'd you fight about, middleweight? Oh, light. Super middleweight. That's my body developed. What'd you go about, what, Bantam? Flyweight. <laughs> Nigga, what? You know your divisions, huh? But you like the fights? You like the rough stuff? Yeah, I bet you do. You like to get out and tussle a little bit? Like me and Tuffy before she got run over. We used to get down on the floor and tussle all the time. I said to her, you're a good bitch, Tuffy. Here's a treat for you. And I give Tuffy what all good bitches love best. And you know what that is? what that is? A bone. I'll give you a good bone too, girl. You're not my type. <laughs> no, that shit don't mean nothing to me. I let the monster out, you're gonna do what it wants. I gotta go, Kenneth. Maybe we'll see each other again mm, sometime. No, 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 no. We're gonna tussle first. Damn it! What the fuck was that? You wanted to tussle. We tussled. Next up, we find out exactly what happened with Jack after his release from Lompoc. So this ties in with the beginning of the film. We finally bring that full circle a little bit. Ripley had promised Jack a job, essentially as a thank you for his help with Snoop, but also because it seemed as if Ripley truly respected and admired Jack's innate ability to get things, to get things done, his whole persona, his whole attitude. The way that we do as mm-hmm. the viewer. Ripley seemed to tap into that, seemed to admire that as they talked and spent time together in Lompoc. So he's saying, I could use a guy like you, basically insinuating right. that Jack's going to be set up once he's outside of prison. Exactly. However. Not so fast. Yeah. The promised gig turns out to be that of a security guard in a building down in Florida. Although you get a free suit with it. Yeah, but I think the salary is a lot less than what Jack was thinking in his head. So he balks, flips his lid, runs down the hall to confront Ripley in his office once he realizes what he's... How sort of underhanded this all was. ...being presented with. It's a weird move by Ripley. I don't know that I ever really understood it. Because it's basically implied that there would have had to have been some communication once they're both out of jail. Like, hey, come to this place at this time. So he's still going with it rather than just ignoring this Jack is completely. Projecting, but I'm kind of thinking Ripley did initially plan on doing more for him and then was kind of like, well, how is this going to look? And like, Oh, exactly. Yeah. Here. The idea is that he's looking down on 
Jack's criminal past right. being a complete hypocrite because exactly. he was in prison yes. with him at the same time. Which Jack points out and is like, don't give me this pull-yourself-up bullshit. Right. You married into this, and that's the only reason, blah, 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 Ripley's and all this different stuff. kind of giving him this pitch of, look, just show up, show me you can do this, and then we'll talk about other stuff. But, you know, yeah. I don't think this is what Jack had in mind. Ripley's whole location throughout the film is also very confusing because yeah. it seems like he works in Florida because he's in this building. Right. And then later he just lives in Detroit in and like, they insinuate that in a he state. goes to Florida, but it doesn't seem like he goes there to work. I don't know. It's weird. I know. It's weird. I get that he's supposed to be ultra rich and everything, but I don't know. Whatever. The Detroit part of it just doesn't make sense to me. Right. Like if it was New York City, I would that be on board seems with like it. what it should be. They should be like upstate a little bit. I don't know. Whatever. But yeah. It's fine. Yeah, I, it works. The setting of Detroit is cool. Right. And this is before things really took a downward turn, and we get movies that look oh, yeah. like Barbarian. That's right. This or Lost house River. probably ended up being like completely, if this was like truly a suburbs of Detroit house, it probably was just like completely abandoned in 2007. Maybe. I'm sure there's still parts of Detroit that are yeah. nice, but a lot of it is gone to seed, I guess. Right. At least according to I the think it's, films. It's recovering now, but I was... love seeing that giant Barry Sanders thing on the side of the building. Oh yeah. I thought that was cool. A legend. I just thought like the footage in Detroit was pretty sweet. Yeah, I think so too. So, Mr. Uh, Foley. Uh Mr. Ripley and I have had a long discussion about your role in the company, and it was his feeling you'd be happiest working down here in Miami. How's that sound to you? Sounds great. Good. You're about a 42 long, right? I, uh, I'm about a 42, like a, 40, a 42 regular. Okay, let's see how she fits. What is that? Your uniform. My uniform. Kidding me? The security guard? What are you hey, stoned? Hey, hey, take it easy. It's all right, Peggy. It's under control. You know something? I wasn't sure that you'd show up here, but I was very sure if you did, you'd throw this job in my face. Let me tell you something. Every single thing you've done with your life up until this point in the real world means nothing. Less than nothing. You're a bank robber. It's not a very marketable skill. We don't see a lot of old bank robbers walking around with a pension plan, now do we? I think you know this, that's why you're here. <sighs> Today I've offered you a lousy job with a lousy wage. You want something better? Why don't you show me you can change? Then I'll offer you something better, a lot better. But until then, my friend, you'll have to earn it. How, Dick, the way you earn it? Married some rich broad, owns a company, selling off a piece of time, then divorcing her? Is this, this new rock and you pull yourself up by the bootstraps bullshit? Back in prison, a guy like you in a place like that? You were ice cream for freaks. A goddamn dumpling. Maurice and a dozen other guys would have bled you till you had nothing. Until you were nothing. I saved your ass. 
So you'll pardon me if I don't want to sit on a fucking stool all day and say, sign in here, please, or, hey, pal, you can't park here, all right, dick? I can't fucking do it, dick! I'm disappointed in you. Good. Ow. Hey, here we go. What job did he promise you boys? There's two ways we can do this. Yeah, what are they? When Jack's tossed from the building, that's when he impulsively decided to rob the bank across the street. And so we're at the beginning of the movie. That's what we were seeing. We didn't understand why he was flipping out outside of a building. Right. Why he decides to run across the street and ruin his life (laughs) (laughs) out of rage, which is something I could definitely relate to. Totally. Although usually it's drinking outside of a bar and it related to some girl or something. Yeah, screaming. (laughs) Three in the morning. (laughs) What do you mean you want to go home? I'm going to go rob a convenience store now (laughs) out of rage. Back to the current timeline. Karen sits alone at a hotel bar. It's snowing outside. It looks incredible. Although I, know. I do think it was kind of fake, but whatever. Yeah, it but it's one of the awesome. coolest shots. Three dudes are there to get. It's like one of the nicest hotel bars I've ever seen. I know. I'm sure that I haven't been in hotels that are like nice enough to have right. bars like that, I guess. I'm surprised the U.S. Marshals have a place this nice on their approved expenses list. <laughs> yeah, there's like a an inquest into her expenditures. She's like fired yeah. <laughs> at the end of this. What the fuck? Well, who even said you could go to Detroit? <laughs> what are you doing? You weren't really on the task force. That was a joke. You're supposed to stay at a courtyard by Marriott. <laughs> yeah, it's an awesome bar. These three dudes come over. They're like ad execs taking turns, embarrassing themselves with her. She's oh, not know. having any of it. They try to pay for her drink. She wants to pay for it herself. Which should be the first hint, like, don't go over, but I then know. they do These anyway. guys stink. <laughs> they're not rude. They don't say yeah. anything too bad or anything. They're not, like, horrifying. But their moves are terrible. Oh, well, yeah. Because even when Jack shows up, because he's found her hotel, she even says, because he's like, are they bothering you? And she's like, no, they're fine, or whatever. Yeah. She doesn't even seem to care right. that much. This is the highlight of the film in a weird way. This is, ends up being what you would probably consider the climax of that part of the story. There's obviously the climax of the score, mm-hmm. which is almost like its own thing. But they have this romantic interlude outside of time where they, at first, they, they try role-playing for a minute, but then they don't want that. They don't need it. it. It doesn't work the same way. He's been not denying it the whole time. Right. And she finally is at a place where she can't deny it any yeah. longer. We all knew it. <laughs> well, yeah, we knew yes. Rose said it. And they do spend the night together. They took a lot of inspiration from the the sex scene in Don't Look Now. It did remind me of that. Where they're cutting back and forth. I think in Don't Look Now, though, they're going back to the sex scene, right? Yeah. Whereas in this, they're moving, they're jumping ahead to the sex scene, and then the conversation's happening before that, right? I think it's the opposite, but whatever. That could be true, yeah. I will say, both are quite sexy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Although, I think that one of the cool things about Out of Sight is how sexy of a movie it is without any nudity. Yeah. And it's not really graphic or anything like that. No, There's that's no, hard to pull off. Nothing crazy or explicit. When they're up in the hotel room, think of it like this. you got that hotel room lighting, sort of that mm-hmm. soft, flattering lighting. You have the city view outside the window with I the know. snow. Jennifer Lopez taking her clothes off. She's like in her Wild. underwear. Right. Is this the peak of life? Is that like I the pinnacle so. of all life? I'd say that's fair. If to say. that was real. Uh-huh. <laughs> so basically Ben Affleck is the peak of life right now. Right. <laughs> no, I, I just think, man, 
It must be nice to look like George Clooney. <laughs> no, I know. That's the thing. Clooney, too, when she's like, you're really wearing that suit. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> In fact, that's your only note that you wrote down for the whole movie. <laughs> Clooney is really wearing the shit out of that suit. No, there's a couple moments in my life jeff bridges and cutter's way too i'd like jeff, <laughs> jeff bridges and a, a reference everyone will get <laughs> in many other movies too where it's just like man what it would be like to have clothes like fit you in that way <laughs> <laughs> when we look back on things when it's all said and done uh-huh. will we be disappointed by clooney's career i have thought that before has he it's- not really lived up to what we thought he could be it's probably like if you go through the filmography, a little lackluster for a guy that you think of as like a big, cool star. He got the Oscar for Best Supporting for Siriana, which is sort of a weird win. Yeah. But whatever. And sort of a forgotten movie. Yeah, it's one of those ones where it just felt like, well, there's no one really else jumping out to us, so we'll give it to a guy who's very famous. Right. Plus, he like put on weight for the role and everything. It's one of those situations, you know? He's got the Oceans movies, which is stuff he did with Soderbergh. That seems like his saving grace as far as being a movie star. Right. I'm not even really sure what you point to as far as like his big movie star type roles anymore. No, I know you're right. But he's famous enough to do a rom-com with Julia Roberts last year that sort of flew under the radar, but since they're both big names, that movie did a lot of money all yeah. over the world. Internationally and stuff, that was a big hit. Even though no one really seemed to love it, and it wasn't talked about that much. Yeah. People have sort of moved on from this, but Up in the Air was a success yeah. at the time. He has good movies. No, I'm not yeah. going to say he doesn't have any good movies. Up in the Air is good. I'm sort of like over thinking The Descendants was good, but... Okay. You know, it was yeah. fine. It got nominated right. for shit, whatever. But yeah, I guess Michael Clayton, oh, maybe? I, I, I forgot about that. Yeah. The ones we just named, right. those three, Up in the Air, Descendants, Michael Clayton. Oh, I, can't, I can't think of the name. What was the Coen Brothers movie that has Brad Pitt in it, too? That's, Burn After Reading. Yeah. He also did Oh Brother, Where Art That people are kind of like split on. Yeah. I just don't know. It feels no, like know. there should have been more. I think maybe he dedicated too much time well, to trying to be a director, and he's not that good at being I, a director. Obviously, when you look at the other guys who you think from a similar class, like Brad Pitt and DiCaprio and stuff, there's way more cool, memorable movies. Well, yeah, for all of the missteps that Pitt has had, he's also had like huge movies, right. a lot of. And no one's cared more about their career than DiCaprio uh-huh. and been more picky and chosen things specifically. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I do think the director thing, it's sort of like J-Lo with the music. Like, obviously, she was a big success, though, in music yep. for a time. Whereas, I don't know that Clooney was ever a huge success as a director. True. But it ate up their time and took away from their career as an actor in terms of the roles they did and their trajectory and right. all that stuff. I don't know. That's the thing, though, with a guy like Clooney, yeah. who still looks good at his age, he could still do probably 10 more A-plus movies before the end of his life. True. Like, it, I know, he looks still incredible. on the table. <laughs> right. He just doesn't seem to work at the same speed, though, yeah. anymore. But this is cool. This is like their little moment in time, and they both seem to realize that. They don't want to talk about the real world. They don't want to talk about the future. There it is, sucks. <laughs> there is that panic, like, when they're done fucking mm-hmm. where they're both like are we gonna like what are we doing now like are you gonna run and tell everyone that you fucked a bank robber or are you gonna run and tell <laughs> everyone that you fucked a 
U.S. It is a little bit like, all right, calm down, lady. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, why are you mad? (laughs) Yeah. Karen finds Snoop, Kenneth, White Boy Bob, and Glenn at a boxing match that night, just as Glenn gets cold feet and attempts to bail on the whole thing. Karen confronts him outside, and after he tells her the details of the plan, including Snoop's plan to kill Jack... She ends up letting Glenn escape. This ends up being a tremendous scene between Steve Zahn and J-Lo, kind mm-hmm. of out of nowhere. Right. Sometimes you never know how two different performers' energies are going to play off each other, and it ends up being surprising that it's this funny. Zahn is hilarious. I've always liked him. I know. <laughs> it's like, I can't steal the car. I already stole it <laughs> two weeks ago. <laughs> Turns out, of course, that he doesn't know the actual plan anymore because... He's kind of Snoop was already out. on his yeah. way of being cut out of the cutting him out of the plan. They don't even seem to care that he disappears. Right. They're like, all right, who gives a shit? He wasn't involved anymore. We tried to look for him in the bathroom, didn't see him. We've moved on. Yeah. When Jack and Buddy arrive at the fights as well, Snoop seems unconcerned that Glenn is MIA. He tells Jack that he's changed the plan and they're going to rip off Ripley that very night, which throws a wrench into what Jack and Buddy had been thinking as they were planning on getting a jump on Snoop and finishing the job before Snoop and his guys would even know anything had gone on. That obviously isn't going to work now that they've moved the plan up to right away. Even though Jack and Buddy both feel like they're going to be set up, they do ultimately accompany Snoop and his guys to Ripley's mansion, I guess because of the allure of the money. They think, okay, these guys are going to turn on us. They might try to kill us. They might try to blame us, get us arrested, whatever. But we can't just let them get the five million dollars. Right. <laughs> we got to be, we be there. Yeah. Unbeknownst to them, Karen is trailing them. She follows them all the way to Ripley's mansion. She calls Raymond Cruz for backup when she sees them force their way into Ripley's home. Does seem like it takes backup a while to arrive, uh-huh. but okay, it all works out perfectly sure. in terms of the timing. Well, this is down a long and windy road to get to this friggin' estate. In, like, a blizzard, too. Yeah, the snow's picking up. Midge, the housekeeper, played by the great Nancy Allen. Uh Uh-huh. You love to see it. Midge. (laughs) I have a picture of Nancy Allen from Dress to Kill right right. there hanging on my wall. I know. Tells them that Richard is out of town. Inside the house, it's a total clown show. It's almost too much going on to even keep track of it all. (laughs) White boy Bob starts raiding the fridge, stealing steaks. (laughs) Very happy with himself. Snoop, Kenneth, and then White Boy Bob, who is done taking the stakes, they find the safe upstairs and attempt to shoot it open with guns. I know. Bullets flying everywhere. Meanwhile, Midge just just tells them the combination, like, stop doing that. Richard's birthday. While Jack finds Richard hiding downstairs. It turns out the uncut diamonds are hidden in the fish tank in Richard's study. In the safe that Snoop opens are just hair pieces. (laughs) (laughs) hilarious jack and buddy snag the loot and advise ripley to make a run for it but he says that he's in love with midge i know and refuses to leave without her (laughs) it's like they'll probably kill you and he's like well if that's my fate i'm not leaving midge which you love to see yeah just a weird moment of bravery from this side (laughs) character because he's in love with like he's having an affair with his housekeeper (laughs) to be fair though yeah i know (laughs) good lord yep Nancy Allen is always the best. Agreed. Love to see her in this movie. Jack and Buddy get out of the house scot-free. 
Well, Ripley is captured by Snoop. But realizing what the other guys are going to do to Midge and Ripley, Jack decides he can't leave. He sends Buddy away with the diamonds and goes back inside the house with Buddy's gun. That's one of the moments where he kind of makes a joke, but you can tell that he's serious, too, where he's like, some shit's going to go down in that house that you'll be talking to your sister for months about. Well, yeah. Yeah. I think he knows there's really no other choice. Right. It's going to have to be a a shootout type situation at this point. They've got the diamonds, and now there's these two people he's got to go try to protect if he can. Jack finds Kenneth attempting to rape Midge, so he shoots him. Good. Karen enters the house, having heard all the gunfire from the attempted safe opening earlier and having seen Buddy depart alone because she was parked kind of far away. So she sees those gunfires going on, and then she has to make that trek up the walk. She gets into the house. White boy Bob gets Jack at gunpoint, but then he trips on the stairs and accidentally shoots himself in the head. Which sounds absurd, and it is, but I will say they do a fair job of setting that up, where White Boy Bob has been slipping all night at various points. They never make a big deal about it, but he does fall a couple of times. This, by the way, one of the many reasons why I I will never own a gun. (laughs) This totally seems like it would happen to me. (laughs) Because, yeah, you have a loaded gun ready to fire and run up the (laughs) stairs. I think the safety was on or something. Snoop and Jack exchanged fire upstairs. Then they both run out of bullets and start brawling. Snoop goes for White Boy Bob's gun while Jack runs for Kenneth's. But Karen emerges, tells Snoop to drop his weapon and put his hands in the air. Instead, he turns to shoot at her and she kills him. Drops him immediately. Yeah. (laughs) He ends up falling on White Boy Bob's (laughs) back. (laughs) They almost look like they're in a cuddling pose. He's up here. He's dead. Come on, Jack, don't. Pretend it's not me. You think I'd shoot you? You don't, somebody else will. What are you now, a desperado? Put the gun down. I'm not going back. Jack, please don't make me do this. Put the gun down. Damn it, Jack, put the gun down! No more timeouts. Shot me. You know what I mean. I'm sorry. I wish things were different. 
Unwilling to return to prison, Jack confronts Karen with Kenneth's gun, which he has emptied out, imploring her to kill him, which would be funny if she did, because that is so not the tone of this movie. (laughs) She just shoots him in the head. Credits. (laughs) People would have been like, what the fuck? I know. (laughs) Instead, Karen shoots him in the leg and handcuffs him to the railing on the stairs as Cruz Mm -hmm. and the backup finally arrive. To his surprise, by the way. He's kind of like, I cannot believe you shot me. I stole it from To Live and Die in L.A., says Soderbergh regarding his choice to remove the non-music sounds after Karen shoots Jack. William Friedkin removes everything during a part of a car chase in his 1985 masterpiece, except for the sound of William Peterson's breathing, and it's an amazing sort of abstract moment. So two movies, Mm -hmm. Don't Look Now and... To live and die in L.A. Yeah. Big influences. Put those in the uh, recommendation section. Yeah. I think one day we'll do both on this show. I don't know when, but we'll get to them. I do love both of them. (laughs) Karen prepares to transport Jack back to Glades, joined by another detainee, Hajira Henry, played by Samuel L. Jackson, of all people. Oh, big appearance who mentions having already escaped from prison nine times. Karen is the one who has arranged for these two to ride down to Florida together. How about that? And she smiles at this as the van pulls out, basically implying that she wants Jack to break out of prison with this guy. So you're telling me that these two kids have a chance? (laughs) Yeah, it ends on a sort of upbeat, positive little moment without committing to anything Uh too much, where she's... Clarice at the end right. of Hannibal, where you're like, okay, now oh, what, what's happening yeah. now? <laughs> yeah, unclear how good of a future these two could really have. I mean, it always have to be like a secret if he escapes from prison. Yeah, but well, and know. they never made a sequel, so right. we don't know. Although we'll leave it to mystery. Maybe they could now. Uh huh. Yeah, he did his twenty year bid. <laughs> Samuel Jackson and Keaton both worked for free. And it sort of confuses the issue a little bit since Jackson was also in Jackie Brown playing Ordell Roby. Mm-hmm. But whatever. I think we get it. Sure. Keaton is the same character Samuel Jackson is That's not. It. If you didn't get it, now you do. So they never made a sequel to Out of Sight, but they did make a television series based on the character Karen Sisko called Karen Sisko. It aired on ABC in 2003 to 2004 for about 11 episodes. Although I was looking at it, it aired from 2003 to 2004 for 10 episodes, and then they aired the unaired pilot in 2007. And I was like, where and why? Four years later, you're just going to air this pilot? What was the answer? I don't know. Huh. That's weird. Karen was played by Carla Gugino. Yes. And her father was played by Robert Forster. Of course. The Jackie Brown connection never ends. Continues. It didn't seem like it had anything to do with the story of Out of Sight. I was scrolling through the characters. I didn't see anyone playing Jack Foley. It didn't seem like the episode descriptions that I read had anything to do with it. I think they just took the character and was sort of doing a typical crime show procedural Mm -hmm. type thing. It looked like it got decent reviews, but it was canceled probably because no one watched it. I don't remember it existing, although... In 2003, if I heard the name Karen Sisko, I don't think I would have thought of Out of Sight. I probably had no idea what any of characters were named or anything like that. So who knows? But 
I did find that interesting. If it had lasted at least a season or two, like a full season or two, I might have wanted to check it out and tried to track it down to watch it. But since it's only 10 episodes, I was like, eh, who cares? Yeah. Whatever. Anywho, that does it for Out of Sight. It's a slick, cool movie. You may have noticed that we didn't recommend streaming it anywhere. I don't think it was available for free. No, I think we both watched the same Kino 4K. Yeah, so you'd have to rent it. I think our streaming recommendations for the topic at hand will only factor in if it's free. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's the same story as anything else, just whatever. But yeah, if you are a physical media person, you can pick it up on 4K now, which is pretty cool. Yeah. What are you doing? What? <clears throat> what? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. As far as our regular recommendation segment, do you have anything this yeah, week? Yeah, I can do something. All right. Are you doing TV? I, I got a TV one. Just do whatever you're going to do. Okay. New series to HBO Max, The Last of Us. Okay. Watch the first episode. What's significant about it for me is it's based on a video game. It's probably one of the last non-sports video games that I ever played, much at the insistence of listener friend Keith told me that I needed to play this game. And I did, and it was a, it was a very sim- cinematic game, and yeah. it, it has the dude from Game of Thrones that we all liked, the Red Viper of Dorne, and then the girl from Game of Thrones that we all liked. Yes. Know, the one that was from the North that was always talking shit. <laughs> I liked the first episode and planning on sticking with it through the duration. But yeah, I think it was a big show. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are watching it. Yeah. I'm not going to watch it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at the point now where if someone tells me to watch a TV show, I'm not going to watch it. And I'm not That's counting you. Hard no. I've yeah. already been told to watch it. And I was, oh, I was okay. immediately yeah. like, no, I'm not going right. to do it. <laughs> but I'm planning on sticking with it. I barely get into shows, but we'll see. I'll, I'm going to really try to make it through this one. Which is going to make it funnier when we when I talk about the two shows that I did watch yeah, right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I like shows that you don't have to commit anything to, including your brain. <laughs> Specifically your brain. The weird thing is I just decided to do this yesterday, and I already finished one of them, which was 10 episodes, and I finished the other one, which was two, mm-hmm. because it, it just started. But I figured I would give these two shows a shot just to talk about them on the podcast. This is not really a recommendation. This is outside of that. Because it's an appeal to our old sensibility. It's clinging nostalgia to the days of your, the monoculture, if you will, when people all kind of watched the same shit and talked about the same shit because there wasn't as much shit to talk about. Because even a show like The Last of Us or White Lotus or House of Dragon or whatever on Mm -hmm. HBO, it still doesn't connect the same way of shows of 20 years ago because there's so many fucking things. It's what we talk about all the time now with streaming. There's 15 different streamers and they all have a million things and blah, 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 blah. So these two reboots, revivals are... Reaching back into time, the multicam sitcom, the laugh track, the whole deal. The first I'll talk about is only two episodes. It's the revival of a show I never really watched. I think I have some faint memories of seeing it in reruns called Night Court. They've brought that back. I think the original ran from 1984 to 1992 or something like that. 
I guess more evidence that everything comes back. Yeah. It's like something like night court. Well, during one of the commercials of one of the NFL playoff games, it was night court and Magnum PI were like the two big shows (laughs) they were pushing. And it's like, nothing is new anymore. So night court stars, Melissa Rouch, who people would probably know from the big bang theory, but I'm a fan of hers from a movie that I think I may have been one of the only people to like called the bronze. Yeah. Which was universally reviled, (laughs) bombed. It was a mean-spirited, raunchy comedy that I actually thought was funny and liked Mm -hmm. it, but everyone seemed to not like it for whatever reason. But I I do like her as a performer. She plays Harry Anderson's daughter. Harry Anderson was the adult Richie Tozier in the Stephen King's It miniseries, but he was from the original. He was the judge. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. He died a couple of years ago. He's also known for his appearances on Cheers, which mm-hmm. is around the same time period as starting this. The only principal cast member to return is John Larroquette, because unfortunately a lot of the people from Night Court are no longer with us. The show is, it ended 30 years ago, which is weird to think about. It ended 30 years ago. It started like 40 years ago, basically. Yeah. Wild. I don't know why they've brought this back. I don't expect it to last. (laughs) It was pretty unfunny. Okay. I was saying to you that for some reason I felt like there was actually potential in the idea. It seemed like they could do stuff in the show that would be funny and interesting, but they do spend a lot of time on stuff that is bad and not funny. Sounds inviting. Yeah, these are not recommendations. (laughs) But... I thought it was funny, though, because yeah. like my parents don't really know anything or watch anything or whatever, but when they saw the commercial for Night Court, they were talking about the original. Yeah. It occurred to me, and then they basically confirmed this, that, yeah, they did watch stuff like that because there was nothing else. Right. When it was on, there were, basically most people only had a few channels, and there weren't a lot of other things. And even if you had cable, cable didn't have original series, really, or anything like that. So it was... It was a lot of the same. Yeah. That's the monoculture, which, which does not exist anymore. I know. That's why so much shit goes unwatched now, because we do have options. Yeah. Which it kind <laughs> so, of sucks in no, a way. It does. In some ways, it's good to have a lot of options, and it's cool that you can stream so many things on demand whenever you want, right. but there's some downside to it, Definitely. too. So the other show that I watched all 10 episodes of is Netflix's That 90s Show. Mm-hmm which is a sequel series to that 70s show, unrelated to the short-lived That 80s Show, which had Glenn Howerton from It's Always Sunny in it, which was not really connected to That 80s Show, I guess. It was just an attempt to do the same thing in the 80s, I guess. I don't know. It was canceled immediately. Yeah. Anyway, That 90s Show is a sequel. You have Kitty and Red reprising their roles as the grandparents now instead of the parents. The main character is Donna and Eric's daughter which i know i've watched the last episode of that 70s show did don and eric even end up together i never felt like they even did i don't know they now and jackie and kelso are together which uh-huh. they weren't together at the end of the show either i don't know they really just sort of no i mean i remember when Topher grace left the show they had donna dating some other dude well he is in the finale though yeah i did know that he came back for it but it didn't seem like they ended up together if i, I can't remember you know, there was a lot of big star used in the finale, which oh, I Oh, that's like. good. Yeah. Well, the opening is the big star. Right. And they only, they used the big star version for season one, and then they had Cheap Trick re-record it, which is annoying. Yeah, yeah. 
but whatever. Now they use some sort of like a pop punky version for this one, right? Which is set in the summer of 1995. We have a Kelso son, we have a foreman daughter, and then a bunch of other assorted characters. It mostly focuses on the new people with Kitty and Red. Donna and Eric are in it a little bit. Donna more than Eric. Eric's only in one episode. Jackie and Kelso are in like 30 seconds, basically, in one episode. It's like a minute. Fez is in... He's technically in three episodes, but really in two. I only watched one episode with you, and based on my experience, it seems like Fez is full-time cast. He's not. (laughs) He was only in one other episode, really. He's in the tease at the end of one. But but he played like a full regular cast member's part in the episode that I saw. Yeah. It wasn't a good finale to to the season. (laughs) Too much Fez. Tommy Chung comes back as Leo for two episodes. Okay. That's really about it. They don't really mention Eric's sister, who obviously the original one passed away. I don't know. The replacement girl, I can barely even remember. Same. They don't mention Danny Masterson's character at all, I don't think. Thoughts on the level of humor on the show? Awful. (laughs) There's a few things that I thought were kind of funny. I'm not going to lie and say that there were zero laughs, but yeah, it has the laugh track situation and the stuff you have to almost be like reminded by the laugh track that oh that was supposed to be a joke <laughs> like that was funny okay <laughs> it would be pretty brutal to watch without the laugh track and not just because of the weird pauses but just because it's a reminder of how shit all of the jokes are i would not describe that 70s show as a masterpiece but it is very watchable and uh-huh. pretty funny it had a lot of charm to it there's some moments that even make the rounds on TikTok and like the little videos you see, like the part where Donna finds another pair of panties in Eric's car. Right. And then it turns out that it's her mom's and like how <laughs> Fez and Kelso react and they start like going to like worshiping Eric. They're like, oh my God. <laughs> like that whole sequence is unbelievable. And you see that video pop up all the time. Okay. There's like great yeah. moments from the original series. It is very watchable. And a lot funnier and sharper. And this mm-hmm. is like that typical shit humor that is hard to explain. It's sort of aimed towards children, you feel like, because uh-huh. it's so LOL random type right. humor. Like, oh, I don't know. Not but really edgy at all. I did watch all 10. So I'm not going to say it's not watchable. Sure, sure. And the characters are fine. I didn't like hate the characters or anything like that, but... It is weird when you mostly focus on a new cast. So you're trying to appeal to people who remember that 70s show. So at this point, a show that's been off the air for a long time. So I would say the majority of the people interested in that 70s show are probably at least in their 30s, if not 40s at this point. And some are probably dead. Well, obviously. (laughs) That goes without saying. But the humor almost feels like it's for people in high school it's not even or younger even like middle school it's tv 14 so i'm I'm thinking that's sort of where they're aiming i don't know it's a weird show to even nail down who it's for because if you're aiming towards younger people and hoping that they watched that 70s show on netflix or streaming or somewhere do they care about the 90s references and the 90s jokes because there's a whole bit about Clerks I was telling you about, yeah. Kevin Smith, 
that I thought was kind of funny. I don't know. I was puzzled as to right. who the show was even for. It was very strange. <laughs> when you talk about it with the humor and who the humor is targeted at, it's like, well, stuff that adults think is funny is probably not going to be approved for a TV show like this now. I don't know. In some ways, you're like, okay, they say fuck, but it's bleeped out kind of, and they say shit, and I think it's bleeped out once or something. Which is something they would have never done on mm, a, true. a network show like that 70s show. But the sexuality, there's a little bit of sexuality in this show, but the main character hasn't even kissed a boy. And she's just turning 15 on the show. Like, she's her 15th birthday. Yeah. Which I get, because then they're thinking, if this show goes for a couple years, we want her to still be in high school, like, three years from now. We don't want it to be obvious that she's, like, in her 20s or something. Right, right. But I feel like the original show was, like significantly edgier i would have to imagine but it's hard to explain why or Mm. how exactly but you just sort of get it (laughs) i think you'd be able to tell yeah i don't know Hmm. okay but this is like a last gasp for the multicam sitcom with the laugh track and the whole deal i was feels very out of place i was telling you it does seem like that era is over and gone and whenever there is something doing it now it just sort of feels like a parody well i'm sure there is other shows and they've never stopped but they're just not things you watch well that's true <laughs> have you do are you watching all of the sitcoms on abc no. and cbs and <laughs> all that shit i'm sure there's still plenty of it but okay whatever nothing's like really making it into your world there's no seinfeld right now okay <laughs> <laughs> no there's no show that gets seinfeld ratings right now <laughs> All right, so that'll do it for Out of Sight. Check out The Last of Us on HBO Max. And if you're interested in that 90s show, it's on Netflix. And if you're interested in Night Court, (laughs) the revival, it's on NBC and Peacock. Yeah, send us your thoughts. I don't mind watching unfunny sitcoms, I think is what I've proven over the last 24 hours. There is something very refreshing about putting something on that you don't really have to pay attention to. Oh, yeah, Certain shows, I'm like, oh, fuck, I got to pause this if yeah, I'm going to walk into the other room or I got to go downstairs or whatever. These shows, you just let it play. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's like, whatever. If I miss 10 minutes of it, it doesn't really matter. I prefer it. <laughs> I prefer to miss it. Anyway, thanks for listening so much. We'll get more information on that listener request deal, hopefully, in the coming weeks. We're not really that worried about it. because Not I, at all. I, I, I can't imagine we're going to get many. Find us on Twitter at GreatestPod, and make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, where you can give us a rating and review, which we would appreciate. We love interacting with everyone and hearing from people, everything like that. If you'd like a sticker, you can let us know on Twitter, and you can find us on Letterboxd, Zach, Z-A-C-H, 1983, and Matt Crosby, M-A-T-T-C-R-O-S-B-Y, on there. See what we're logging. Not logging as much as i did when i first started with letterboxd i feel like i'm overwhelmed by the podcast now and i can't watch other movies anymore (laughs) well i think that's maybe a good thing for you though your log rate was insane yeah well working from home in that specific job where Uh it's sort of mindless repetition yeah you just not bang out four or five a day easily (laughs) i'm not really in that zone anymore of doing that even though even though I will admit that a lot of my day does seem like free time now. <laughs> but I'm just not in that right mode anymore yeah, yeah. of just like one after the other to, to get through in eight hours or whatever. Totally. Anyway, thanks for listening. 
and we will talk to you next week. It's your thing. Do what you want to do.
Bitch come back from a doctor's appointment, had a good appointment. Bitch gonna live another 15, 20 minutes. But a bitch can't have no coffee, though. That's what a bitch got. You can have some life, bitch, but you can't have no coffee. Because what you want to do is take it and spread it all over your daughter's motherfucking house. But won't none get in your lip. I'm so fucking, fucking, fuck, fuck mad. Motherfucker. Have I said hello? Shit, I don't even fucking know. Did I say hi? The fuck? Hello. Motherfucker duck. Hello. Hi. This motherfucker. I'm out of breath and shit. Oh. I don't have no coffee. Bitch don't deserve coffee. I'm talking about it ain't enough in here to wet. A uh, 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 flea's pussy. It's not enough coffee in here to wet a flea's pussy. Ain't that a bitch? I guess I had to lick the top with some shit. 